It's Gay Pride Month, and I wanted to do something to support women in history. So I wanted to tell you about a podcast that is doing just this. So for too long, history lessons have glossed over the essential contributions women have made to history. I mean, that's the truth. That's where Encyclopedia Womanica comes in. Encyclopedia Womanica aims to change the narrative by introducing the trials and triumphs of a diverse group of extraordinary women. And in June, they're celebrating Pride. Tune in every weekday to hear the true stories of fearless and unapologetic LGBTQIA plus women from history. You may not know these women, but you definitely should. Subscribe and follow Encyclopedia Womanica wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something, trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions, and I'm here to go on this journey with you, so let's do it together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I hope you're having a great day, and I just want to thank you for coming back for another episode. I truly appreciate you listening to the show. And as usual, if you could please rate the show on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, tell your friends, share my social media, anything you can do. We are all helping women our age together. So today's show is a very interesting topic, especially in our 40s, and something that I am very interested in for many reasons. So full disclosure, my entire family has ADHD. Uh, My son, who is almost 11, was diagnosed around seven, and uh, the other people in my family are in complete denial. Um, But trust me when I tell you that my entire family and extended family all have ADHD. And I think it wasn't until my son's diagnosis that I really learned about it and kind of thought to myself, and I looked at my husband and he looked at me and we both thought, whoa, we definitely have this. And when I was growing up, I was always very smart and capable and very competent, but I was never able to show my full potential when I was in school. And I just felt like I felt dumb all the time. And I knew I wasn't, but I never felt like I was given the support that I needed, but I didn't know what I needed supported, if that makes any sense. So in my family as a kid, ADHD, which was ADD then, was kind of a joke. It was like, oh, dad, you're being so ADD or you're so ADD. And I think a lot of us in Gen X talk that way. I think that it wasn't something that you really knew that much about but uh, it was more a personality trait as opposed to a disorder. And throughout my life, I, I, you know, there were times where I could study really hard and not do well on a test. There were times that I would study really hard and do really well on a test. And it was a, something that I was just interested in. And it was very confusing to me. I, I knew when I was hyper-focused on something I enjoyed, I would do well, but otherwise I, had, I lost interest completely. Until I went to college and I really was studying what I enjoyed and I got straight A's um, and in grad school too. 
And I still, at that point, didn't understand exactly what it was. So as I'm creeping into my 40s, I've noticed that my ADHD has gotten so much worse and actually causes a lot of anxiety. I reached out and did some research and found out that as we go through our perimenopause stage, that this is exasperated. And there are a lot of women who are just being diagnosed in their 40s with it. So I just think... Well, first of all, I want to state that ADHD is such a gift because I think we have these extremely complex and creative minds, and I didn't realize that until this point in my life. At the same time, it's definitely something that's disruptive in my life and something that I no longer want to just live with and learn how to deal with it in a better way. I was in a clubhouse recently, and uh, I was I, I stumbled on a room for women diagnosed with ADHD after 40, and I was blown away by this. I couldn't – it was like I was in a, a room with my people. We completely understood each other. We, we had mentioned things in our childhood that we didn't even know related to ADHD that we now understand. It was really and truly eye-opening. And so that's what gave me the idea for this episode because there have to be a lot of women out there who are going through this. Today's guest, Diane Wingert, is a mindset and productivity coach for female entrepreneurs. During her 20-year career as a licensed psychotherapist, she worked with hundreds of ambitious women who struggled with habits and mindsets that held them back. After realizing that psychotherapy was not the answer, Diane trained and certified as a coach in order to shift the conversation from problems to possibilities. Her jam is helping the driven but distracted women eliminate procrastination, perfectionism, and people-pleasing so she can level up her business and life. She's an expert in ADHD and adult women and the link between ADHD and entrepreneurship. I am so excited to have my guest today, Diane, here with me. She is funny. She is knowledgeable. She made me feel relaxed the second I talked to her. Diane, thank you for being on the show. Girl, I have been counting down the seconds until we could have this conversation because our first meeting was so fun. It was. It was. We so I I don't I don't I think people might know this as most podcasters do, but I always have a conversation with somebody before I book them on the show because we have to have chemistry. And if there's no chemistry, they don't get booked. I don't care how knowledgeable they are or if they're boring, they don't come on my show. <laughs> so um, you, we just connected immediately. So it's great to have you here. And I'm excited for you to bring this information to women because I think that not only do women not know that they have ADHD or what's going on with their brains at this stage of life, especially this generation, Gen X, where it was kind of a a hush-hush sort of, well, we'll go into that because I want I want that to come from your mouth, not mine. So women over 40 are the fastest growing group being diagnosed with ADHD. Why? Isn't that fascinating? It's so fascinating. And I and my unprofessional opinion is hormones, but I always blame everything on hormones. So oh, um, I'd Seriously. love to hear. I want to hear more about this. Well, there are several reasons. One is, like you say, especially with Gen X and the boomers who came before them, nobody was looking for ADHD in girls. I don't know if you remember, you probably weren't old enough at the time, but ADHD, I, mean, I think it was ADD at the time, was on the cover of Time magazine in the 90s because all of a sudden, 
all these little boys who couldn't sit still, who were disrupting the classroom, who were very physically hyperactive, punching, yelling, and so forth, they were getting diagnosed and medicated. And there were people who were like, this is a gift. This is amazing. My kid can finally learn. He's not going to end up in prison. And then there were other people that were like, they're drugging our children. But the reality was at that time, it was only little boys. Now, nobody was looking for it in little girls, and nobody was even thinking about it in adults. I was in grad school at UCLA at the Neuropsych Institute at the time, and I was actually treating little boys. My oldest son at that time was the only person in our family that had been identified at the age of eight, so he was just part of that cohort. Now, this is a genetic condition. It is not caused by sugar. It is not caused by TV. It is not caused by video games, although many parents tell their kids that's where it comes from. It's not caused by bad parenting. It is a genetic constellation of traits that is neurobiological. So if you have a kiddo who is diagnosed with ADHD, a good psychiatrist or pediatrician will start asking questions of the parents. And just like you and your husband experience that light bulb moment, that's the number one reason why women over 40 are being diagnosed in record numbers because they come by the diagnosis by way of one or more of their children. That's reason number one. Reason number two is that we are at a stage of our life where we're entering perimenopause, and that fucks with your brain as well as your body, your waistline, your sex drive, and all the other things. Lots of women start to think, oh my God, do I have early onset Alzheimer's? Am I losing my mind? And the chief symptom at that stage is anxiety, crippling anxiety. Here's the part that really pisses me off because I was a psychotherapist for many years before transitioning into coaching. And most of my former peers, otherwise caring, competent, well-trained, highly educated professionals, the mental health profession, most of them wouldn't know to look for ADHD in an adult woman who comes to their office complaining of anxiety, depression, overwhelm, confusion, disorganization. They'll think, oh, she's having a midlife crisis. Or they'll just diagnose her with anxiety. She'll be sent off for you know, a prescription for anxiety medication. And the problem is that will help a little. But if the underlying problem is ADHD, it won't help enough. So those women, the smart ones, the relentless ones, will keep on looking for answers. And if they're lucky, they will stumble across a book a podcast or a clubhouse room and say, oh my God, I think this is it. So I think, you know, smart women that won't take no for an answer is probably the number one reason why we eventually realize we have ADHD. But the gender bias and hormones, I think, is the reason why it takes so long for us to get there. That's so fascinating. And by the way, my daughter was um, diagnosed with ADHD. She refuses to call it ADHD. She prefers ADD. And I said, well, they don't. I, and I want to ask you about that. They don't call it that anymore. It's no longer ADD. I, I often will run parallels with her between myself and the way that she can be in school sometimes or with things at home. And she doesn't want to hear about it. She sees what her brother goes through and she doesn't want to feel like she's uh, you know, a part of this diagnosis, which is 
interesting because we're very open about it in our family and we joke about it too. But at the same time, I try to lend her advice when I can, but I, but it bothers me that she's kind of brushing it under the rug. So it's interesting. I don't know if that's my doing or if it's just, no, in our, no, no, as we're just girls. We just you know do what? that. <laughs> this, this, how old is your daughter? She's 13 and a half. Okay. Well, there's, there's the whole 13 and a half. Thing. Well, there's that. Yeah, there's that too. But, but also <laughs> it's like, I mean, one of the reasons why we don't identify ADHD in girls as readily as we do in boys and why so many girls, if they have to talk about it at all, I mean, you've brought up several different important things in this one comment and I want to sort of address all of them because yes, they're all important. One of them is that ADHD looks different in boys and girls. The other is um, how we identify with the label and what we make it mean about us and whether we accept it, embrace it, um, wear it with pride even, or we reject it, we deny it, or we try to change it in some way. And also just being an early adolescent, so much of being 13 is pushing away from the same gender parent, and that's normal and necessary. The developmental task of adolescence is to start becoming your own person. So you have to start pushing away from your parents in all ways possible and, and establishing your own identity and your own your own way of thinking. And it's going to be most pronounced with the same gender parent. But let me address the ADD versus ADHD first. This condition, first of all, has always existed. It has always existed across time and all cultures everywhere in the world. It's one of my sort of little amusing hobbies to search famous people and read their bios and try to identify the ones that I suspect based on their behavior and their lifestyle and what they were known for. There have always been people like us the world over. We are the explorers. We are the pioneers. We are the visionaries. We are the creatives. We are the entrepreneurs. We are the out-of-the-box thinkers, the shamans. You know, we are the ones who don't conform to the norm. In fact, there's a, a whole theory about ADHD that doesn't use the term and basically says we're hunters and the others are farmers. When you think about farming, they're very methodical. They plan months, if not years ahead. Hunters have to be hyper vigilant and totally aware. And all they have to do is focus on that one thing, bring back the kill so the tribe can eat. So I digress. ADHD used to be called hyperkinesis syndrome of childhood. And later than that, it was called minimal brain dysfunction. This condition or set of traits, as I prefer to say, has always had bad PR because the way it's labeled is so stigmatizing. I mean, I don't identify with deficit or disorder. And it's one of the reasons why so many people who think, oh, I think this may be me, but I don't want it to be. So therefore, I won't get diagnosed because then I'll know for sure and then I'll have to incorporate this into my identity. ADD is what most of us think of as our identity as opposed to ADHD if we're girls because few girls have the hyperactivity. Yes. They have hyperactivity, but it is not overt the way it is with boys. Most girls have a hyperactive mind which is why so many of us become anxious, overthinkers, and perfectionists. But our physical hyperactivity is more likely to be hyperverbal. Like we talk, we talk a lot, 
We talk loud. We laugh loud. We talk over people. We interrupt people. So that is definitely considered hyperactivity, but we're not squirming in our seats and punching other kids and standing up without being called on. So boys are going to disrupt the classroom. That's where most of the action is. Right. That's so telling. I mean, if when I look at uh, my son and I think about myself at the same age, you're so right. It's exactly that. Uh, and I love what you said about not wanting to have the dis- the diagnosis. I think that's probably what she is fighting. Well, here's the thing. You know, you, you mentioned earlier, Doran, that, you know, in your family, your extended family growing up, like you knew about ADD and maybe you even thought, yeah, we probably have this. But then you kind of laugh because the truth is, even now, 2021, there's a lot of myths and a lot of misunderstandings and frankly, a lot of ignorance, even among the professional mental health community. For example, there are still plenty of people who think it's impossible for an adult to be diagnosed. There are women who have struggled with symptoms their whole life, figured it out on their own, went to a doctor and said, I think this is me, only to be turned away because the doctor, out of his or her own ignorance, thinks that she is seeking stimulant medication in order to lose weight. Oh, so fascinating. Right. That's the other thing. So you... When when I was a teenager, you heard about kids just abusing yes. ADHD medication to study for tests and stay up or to lose weight. And so to me, it was drugs scared me no matter what they were. So I had never had any interest in it. And, I, and it was and medication for this condition was looked at as dangerous and scary. You know, Doran, it, it has had a reputation as a street drug. I mean, right, right. the truth is it's very interesting because you wouldn't think that being physically or mentally hyperactive, that the treatment for that would be a stimulant. You'd be like, don't you need a chill pill? Yeah. But the reality is that the the hyperkinesis or the hyper hyperactivity, whether it's mental, physical, or both, is because we have underactive systems in our brain, not because they're overactive. So it's we kind of need that boost. The stimulant actually helps us focus. But it's true that if you don't take the right medication at the right dose, it might make you very agitated and anxious and feeling like more angsty than if you didn't take it. So, you know, I remember hearing, one of the myths I remember hearing is that, um, if you take a stimulant medication and it helps you focus, that means you have ADD. That's not true. It'll help anyone focus better, not just the person with ADHD. Um, so, and then also it can be abused. I mean, there are people who would who would take it, who would snort it, who would do all kinds of things with it. I have heard of kids getting a prescription for Adderall, which is one of the more commonly abused ones, and selling it. Or people saying um, they they would persuade their college roommate to let them have someone at test time so that they could party all weekend and then pull an all-nighter and pass the exam. I've even had parents when I was a therapist treating USC students when I still lived in Southern California. I had a professional set of parents come in and sit me down and demand that I diagnose their teen daughter with ADHD because they were determined that she go to med school and she needed to have accommodations such as more time on tests. And I needed to make that happen. Oh, my gosh. I I actually remember that going on when I was in high school um, a lot. And you can see why people who legitimately struggle with this condition, with these set mm-hmm. of traits, will say, 
I would rather struggle than have a stigmatizing label. And a lot of people with ADD are very impulsive. It's one of the key traits. Impulsivity can be great when you're an entrepreneur because it means you may act on something while other people are still thinking about whether it's a good idea and you'll be the first one to, you know, get ahead of the curve. But impulsivity is also related to eating disorders and all kinds of addictions. So there are people who, you know, it's like, well, I don't really know if I want to get on the medication bandwagon because I'm an addictive personality and what if I overdo it? So there's, there are legitimate concerns, but the reality is ADD, the, le- the legal term is ADHD at this point, and that is the legal term whether you have hyperactivity or not. Why was it changed? The history of the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Conditions, it is a committee of professionals who meet and go over all kinds of data and they make decisions. They make good decisions and they make bad decisions. I think that the ADHD label, while it's an extra letter and it takes more time to say, which I think is another reason why so many of us prefer ADD, because we like shortcuts. Um, <laughs> so it's true. quicker. <laughs> it's and, so much faster. <laughs> right. It's faster to say. It's easier to say. It's also worked its way into our you know, language where people say, oh, I'm so ADD today, Mm -hmm. or I'm having an ADD moment, or my ADD is flaring up. And there are people who use those terms who have never been diagnosed, don't even know if they have or are ADHD. They just use it to express, you know, they feel overwhelmed, or they feel confused, or they feel scattered, or they can't focus, which I think makes it even harder to get diagnosed. Um, And kids who've grown up watching before we had long-acting forms of medication, meaning 8, 10, 12, 16 hours, the initial ones that were brought out when my son was diagnosed years ago only lasted four hours. So for a kiddo to get through a school day, you know, medicated, he, in those days, always a he, had to make the pilgrimage to the nurse's office and stand in line with the other stigmatized and labeled kids and wait for them to dispense his meds because, of course, kids were not allowed to carry their own meds. And nobody wanted to be in that line because other kids would make fun of them. Now you can have a 12, 8, 10, 16-hour dosage. You can take it discreetly at home, regardless of your age or gender, And unless you want people to know, they don't have to. But you've also noticed the trend, and you're part of this, and so am I, where we are kind of taking ownership of this diagnosis and trying to destigmatize it by being loud and proud about the fact that I have ADHD. And yeah, there are some really inconvenient, annoying, and troublesome aspects about it, but there's some magic too. Absolutely. And and I want to go into that more because I do want to talk about women entrepreneurs and how this, you know, comes into play in our lives. But the one thing I wanted to bring up first, and this is personal, but I, I can't imagine, I, I always say that by sharing my story, there's got to be one person out there who relates to it. So, you know, my struggle with my PMDD, my premenstrual stuff, it clearly at that time, my anxiety is worse. My focus is worse. You look at women our age, and and a lot of us have brain fog, and we have a bunch of other things going on. And in one direction, I have somebody telling me, well, you need to eat 
this and to get your brain clear and, you know, to to balance all of this. And then the other direction, I have doctors saying we need to try your medication. You haven't found the right dose. It, it's very confusing. It's very confusing. I think when you have ADHD and you have anything else going on with your body hormonally, hormonally related, such as perimenopause, which many of us are going through, it's, it's difficult to distinguish what is what uh, when it's going on, as well as the abundance of information through social media that we're getting today that makes us feel that we're either failing because we're not doing this or failing because we are doing this. And I found that I, I've been actually recently, for the first time in my life, tried a couple of ADHD medications and I did not like how I felt on them and, and kind of gave up quickly. And I, I do know from my, my son that, you know, it is a matter of the dosing and time or a different kind of medication. But at the same time, I, I felt that I don't have the patience to go through that process. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Doran, because that that's exactly the issue. I mean, just think about it. You know, you've always known you were different, as you said, and I think this is common. We always have known we were different. And sometimes we make positive attributions for that. Like, I'm special, you know, um, I'm just smarter than the other kids, or I'm just faster than the other kids, or I think bigger thoughts, or, you know, whatever. And and depending on how these traits were dealt with in your family, then it could either be a positive, or it could be a negative. Like, I think what's really challenging is when a, an ADHD kid has a neurotypical parent, which is the term for someone who does not have ADHD or any other brain difference. And they think the kid is being willful and being difficult on purpose. And, you know, the, the kid gets a lot of shame and stuff. But by the time you have been dealing with this for decades, you're now, you know, around 40 or, or after. And now you've got anxiety. Now you you know, can't sleep through the night. Now you may have like heart palpitations. You feel confused. You walk into a room. You don't know why you're there. Um, it is a, a collection of things. And there is aging, the normal aging process, and the normal, slow, steady cognitive decline that actually begins in a significant way in our 30s and continues on. But hormones just jack that up big time. And what a lot of people don't know about ADHD, and you and I talked about uh, in another conversation, is that estrogen has a protective effect on dopamine delivery. And dopamine, I think this condition should be called dopamine deficit disorder if it has to be called any kind of deficit, because we don't make as much dopamine and the dopamine we make is not as reliably delivered in our brain. Let me explain this because it's really, really crucial. Dopamine is the reward chemical. Now, a lot of people get confused between dopamine and serotonin. Serotonin, to make it very, very simple so everybody can stick with it and not like zone out because it's science. Serotonin is the feel-good chemical. When we do things that make us feel good, we get a little dose of that. Dopamine is the reward chemical. They often travel in pairs. So let's say you do something that makes you happy. You get a little squirt of serotonin and you keep on doing it. So now you're getting dopamine. Well, when your brain doesn't deliver as much dopamine, you are not being naturally rewarded for doing things, even when they feel good. 
So when you see a kid who's smart and creative and has tons of potential, but they give up really quickly, that can absolutely be ADHD in the brain, just not rewarding them with enough dopamine to keep them going. And you will hear a lot of people say, I don't know, I I thought it would be really exciting at first, but I just got bored. Now, you know, at, at midlife, when, you know, maybe the kids are getting a little older, and we don't have quite as much on our plate in terms of active parenting, a lot of women start thinking, well, hey, you know, this is a good time for me to kind of start something of my own, maybe a little business or even a big business. But the inability to stick with something, even when we really want to, kind of shuts them down. And I think it is definitely worth looking into. But in my opinion, and again, I'm not a doctor, I think that we have to address the hormones first and then the ADHD, because hormones will rock your world on every single level, not just the brain. Wow, that was so, you just spoke right to me, even if you weren't speaking to me. <laughs> but well, you relate to this. I relate to it a thousand percent. I mean, it, you know, and, and it's funny, my dad, who definitely has a very severe ADHD, you know, he went to three colleges. He, you know, has had a lot of businesses. He's an entrepreneur. And the only consistent thing in his life that he's stuck, well, I mean, he had his business for a while, but he's he's flies for a hobby. And it's just passion of his since he was 16 years old. And he would joke about his impulsivity. Uh, our whole family did. And he, he'd be like, oh, Doran, you're just like me. You know, you. I, I went to a couple colleges. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I've had a million businesses. And he would joke like it was a, a negative thing. And, and it's funny because now I do relate to him in a different way because I understand him better. But I think he still doesn't quite understand himself. So it, it's just it's just very interesting to me. Everything you just said is so true. And whereas I had shame over a lot of it when I was younger, I, I, I don't now, but it continues. <laughs> it continues in different ways. Well, yeah. And the <laughs> thing is, is that I think, you know that I'm an ADHD coach and I work specifically with female entrepreneurs. And there's a lot of people that can teach you how to be more organized from professional organizers to ADD coaches, ADHD coaches who specialize in that. And there's a lot of people that can teach you to all the productivity hacks and how to get more done in less time and all that stuff. My focus is on mindset. And the the reason for that is, and a lot of it has to do with my therapist background, but the fact that we have ADHD doesn't really have to mean anything negative at all, even if we're experiencing negative consequences. What we make it mean that we have ADHD It can be a so what, or it can be a like red pill, blue pill. If I had the opportunity to take the pill that would make this go away, I wouldn't. Because even though I can be disorganized, I can be easily overwhelmed. I have, I'm very sensitive to rejection, which is now becoming much more understood as one of the traits that goes with ADHD, rejection-sensitive dysphoria. Somebody dislikes something you post online and you go into a funk that lasts for days. Um, (laughs) I I also think, you know... No. No. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Of course, we don't relate. But also um, being uh, having difficulty finishing what I start, that's probably been the biggest 
um, challenge of my life. And I felt so much shame about that. I got a lot of feedback for being in grad school and sitting at my desk, listening to the lecture that was just fascinating, furiously scribbling down notes. And at the same time, I was also highlighting an article from another class and balancing my checkbook. (laughs) And the people around me were like, oh my God, would you just stop? And I thought, what? What did I do? They were like, just all of this. Now, I, for the record, I don't multitask anymore because I now understand that that is not the most efficient way for me or any brain really to work. But I do need a lot of stimulation all the time. So I don't watch rom-coms. I watch thrillers, sci-fi, action and adventure, usually psychological thrillers. I need something to put me on the edge of my seat and keep me there if I'm going to be expected to sit still for two hours. Otherwise, it's not engaging enough. So I will be folding laundry or doing my nails or something else to occupy the rest of my bandwidth. Oh my gosh, I'm the same way. I just told someone recently, I said, one of the things I miss the most in this pandemic is the movie theater. And they're like, why? You can watch everything at home. I said, no, 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 no. I need to be in a black, a pitch black room and I need to put my phone away and I need to have no distractions around me and I need to stare at a huge screen in my face to focus on a movie. Like that's like, I enjoy that. that I can't, I can't focus on movies at home unless I, I hear what you're saying. I love suspense too. But I have so many people who don't get that. I mean, they're like, yeah, I, guess, I, know, I miss the movies, but I can watch it at home. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, no. I, I need that dark space. <laughs> well, I think it's that if you think about it this way, I mean, I literally have changed the way I think about all of my ADHD traits so that they are either a positive or a manageable challenge. Even a, you know, uh, something I can challenge myself to manage and then feel like a freaking rock star because I do. I refuse to think of myself as broken or inadequate, although I did for many years. In fact, I used to pride myself on what I called passing for normal. I was proud of the fact that people didn't know I had ADHD. And I, got, too. So, I got so good at it, Torin, that when I finally did get officially diagnosed and treated, and I even joined a group of people with ADHD, I had someone DM me privately from the group and say, I know you don't really have ADHD. You're like a reporter doing research, right? I'm <laughs> like, no, I manage my traits well, but I also realized that trying so hard to fit in, to conform to the norm, to look like everyone else and not be my full strength self. I was like half calf for decades. I didn't really realize what that did to me. I didn't really realize that that was actually the cause of my ongoing dysthymia, which is like a chronic low-grade depression. I was literally forcing my whole big personality into an emotional trash compactor so that I could be more like everyone else. And for what? I mean, it's not like I ever really fit in anyway. I always knew I was different. I was more opinionated. I was louder. I figured things out quicker. I had an absolute aversion to boredom 
and meetings and anything that seemed like a waste of time. And I would be happy to let you know about it. So people thought I was flippant. They thought I was rude. They thought I was arrogant and said, no, this is so, this is just so inefficient. We have talked about this 10 times already. Can we either make a decision or let it go? It's like, you're just not a team player. And I think it's one of the reasons why so many of us become entrepreneurs and why it makes all the sense in the world to me that probably 100% of serial entrepreneurs have ADHD because we get to start a business when you get massive dopamine downloads. It's the fun, exciting, creative part. And then when it basically just needs to be maintained, we can sell it or hand it off to somebody else. That's optimal for the kind of brain we have. We also don't do well working for people. Mm-mm. That's part of my theory as why as to why we we turn into entrepreneurs. We're unemployable. Unemployable. Well, it's just it's excruciating to report to somebody that you don't respect, and when you think faster than your boss, mm-hmm. they're not going to like you very well. You're going to be seen as a management problem. My strengths finder profile. My number one strength is strategic, and. Combine that with the ADHD trait of being able to connect dots and see patterns that other people don't see. I was always, well, it was thought of as challenging authority. But for me, it was like, this is perfectly obvious. What we're doing doesn't make any sense. Why don't we do it this way? I have a funny story very quickly about that. When I was, I I may have told you this, but I have not told the listeners this. When I was going into... I think it was third grade, my parents decided they wanted to send me to private school because I wasn't doing well in public school. And I always knew my brother was very smart and did very well academically. So he was always looked at as the smart one and I was the creative one. But in my head, even as I honestly, I can remember being a toddler and thinking things very sophisticated, you know, in a very sophisticated way in my brain, but not being able to verbalize them with my mouth. I went to an interview for a really prestigious private school, and when I, I was, my mother had me wearing a plaid kilt. I don't know why. No, we're not <laughs> Irish or Scottish. <laughs> I'm just a Jewish girl, um, but I was in a kilt. You know, my mom loved the style, whatever. So she has me go to this interview, and there's a reason why I'm telling you about my kilt. And the woman asked me a bunch of questions, and one of the things she asked me to do was hop on one foot. And for some reason, I couldn't do that. So that I don't know what that was about. But hmm. the last question she had for me is, "What kind of skirt are you wearing?" And instead of being able to say to her, could you ask that question in a different way? Because that doesn't make sense. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, what kind of skirt are you wearing? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she kept repeating it. And I was getting mm-hmm. kind of fresh because I was annoyed by the way she she said her question. And I said, I don't know. It's a skirt. And, I, <laughs> and we walked out of there. My mom said, take a good look around here because you're not going to be going here. <laughs> and I looked at my mom and I said, mom. I said, she should have asked me, what is the pattern on your skirt? What is the style of your skirt? Color? What do they call that particular type of skirt? Or, or what kind of, yeah, what, yes, exactly. I said, I heard her question was, and I didn't use the word vague at the time, but in my mind, I felt it was too vague. And it, I got annoyed because I didn't, I didn't think she asked it in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. And, and to, it's kind of funny because now look what I'm doing for a living is interviewing people, but I, I try to be as specific as possible from that experience. But that what you just mentioned is so true. I mean, from such an early age, my brain was thinking ahead of even adults 
uh, when they would say something to me. And um, so anyway, I always thought that was a funny story. I did not get into that school. No. And I ended up going to a terrible private school and a terrible public school after that where nobody diagnosed me with ADHD. <laughs> but you know what? I think I think you dodged a bullet there, my friend, because I think the most important decisions we can make as people who are neurodivergent, neurodivergent just basically means that your brain works differently than the average person. It's probably in the neighborhood of around 5% of adults uh, have been diagnosed with ADHD, a little less than 5%. But I think our actual numbers, the actual number of people walking around who have ADHD but don't know it or know it but haven't been officially diagnosed, um, it's probably closer to 10 to 12%. And if you know what to look for, you can see it quite readily. The numbers uh, of people with ADHD among entrepreneurs are very high. Some estimate about 70%, could be even higher, because different people become entrepreneurs for different reasons. But the need to do things your way, the need to not be questioned by other people and have to satisfy external you know, bureaucratic, seemingly mundane or irrelevant types of criteria to try things. Uh, the resiliency to fall flat on your face and say, well, I didn't see that coming. And then to get up and try again. I think you need people who operate like us. Now, I'm making it sound like, wow, people thinking, listening, thinking, gee, I wish I had some of that. That sounds great. <laughs> What's actually not so fun about it, we should talk about too, which yes. is that when you know you're brilliant, you know that you have these incredible ideas and you stop trusting yourself with any of them because you're so good at starting and you suck ass at finishing. That's painful. That is so painful. And you always hear this comment like, well, if she would just apply herself, maybe she would reach her potential. And you're like, I am busting my ass applying yes. myself. That is not the problem. Nobody works harder than me. Why can't I get there? There is a lot of shame. There is a lot of, you know, self-misunderstanding. And we diagnose ourselves as being lazy self-sabotaging. Um, I always feel bad when somebody like you or I gets into a coaching program for entrepreneurs and they just need to go about things differently. They need to do it their way. They need to figure it out their way, but they're in a very rigid system that says, no, you have to follow this to the letter if you want to be successful. And they're like, well, I need to do it my way. Well, obviously you're not committed to the results. So they go away empty-handed and feeling like a failure. It's like, no, you have to learn to trust yourself and put yourself in the right kind of environment. I'm glad you didn't end up in a school where you felt, you know, put on the spot by somebody who didn't even know how to ask a young child the right question. Nowadays, there are, there are colleges and universities for people with ADHD who allow them to go about learning their own way. It's why you were able to do so well in college because you finally got to focus on just the stuff that you were interested in. This yeah. is the number one clue. We do not have an importance-based brain where we do what we or other people think is important. We have an interest-based brain. If we are interested in something, curious about it, fascinated by it, it's like an obsession, right? Yes. It's either all ass or no ass. We totally. don't have anything. 
can't just can't do it. But and I, I Diane, I just want to go back to shame because I'm, you know, I, I for much of my younger life was called flaky and airheaded and in and honestly, like even in my jewelry business with my team of employees and my lovely editor that's listening will will attest to him, probably admitting to saying the same thing about me, that those comments were really hurtful. And and especially because I knew I was smart. So being called airheaded and flaky to me meant like, oh, she's an idiot and doesn't, you know, doesn't know which way is up. So I think that I've spent a lot of my adult life trying to prove that that's not the case, you know, and I mm-hmm. I can do it and um, that nothing is going to hold me back. And it really, it actually has really affected me. And I'm sure many other women who are just being diagnosed in their 40s, looking back at their childhood, this is what was being discussed in this clubhouse room, just saying, oh, my God, you know, this all makes sense to me now. But, you know, it isn't just positive. There, There is a lot of shame that comes with it. And I think it, you know, unfortunately, it still continues, even as, um, as I'm explaining to you, as an adult running two businesses, I still feel it from people. Yes, because, you know, as we talked about earlier, Doran, there's so much, there's so much ignorance Mm-hmm. about this. And honestly, even within the ADHD community, even within the community of people who are either coaches or therapists, psychiatrists, advocates, parents, uh, people who run support groups, people who create content. Um, I bought these really cute t-shirts from somebody that one of my t-shirts is ADHD and killing it. And I wear it out in public. I want people to say, uh, so are you the parent of a kid with ADHD? I said, yes, and I have ADHD. I want to have an a-, a t-shirt that said, this is what ADHD looks like, or ask me. Like, I'm happy to talk about it because the more we can break up the ignorance, maybe we can relieve some of that shame. And, um, you know, here's what I think is actually the worst. Yes, the shame can and should be unpacked because it has an insidious way of holding us back from truly reaching our potential. Think about it this way. It's like, I want to do this thing, but it's so bold. It's so big. It's so audacious that I'm scared shitless. I'm going to fall on my face in a public way and everybody will be like, who didn't see that coming? But you, mm-hmm. right? And you still want to do it, but you do some much smaller version of it. So when you fall on your face, you won't be totally crushed or you don't do it at all, but just nurture the idea in your head or simply talk yourself out of it so it goes away. I think that is the biggest loss, not just to the individual woman, to the whole world. If you think about it this way, we are the creatives, we are the inventors, we are the entrepreneurs, we are the visionaries, we are the game changers, and we always have been. If we hold our best and boldest and brightest ideas back because of fear of failure, because of decades of shame that we have lived with this, that make us doubt ourselves, everybody loses. Think of all the wonderful things that we can create and share with the world that will not happen if we keep thinking, oh, I'd really like to, but you know, who am I kidding? I'm either going to lose interest, get confused and stall out, or abandon this perfectly good idea for the next shiny one that comes my way. We need to have a way of learning not only to let the shame go, but learning how to make better decisions and learning how to trust ourselves to do them. I think that's really what it takes. And so I'm not a fan of 
either camp. There's the people that say, it's a superpower. And then there are people that say, oh, you have ADHD. Well, I, <laughs> I, 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 I guess you'll, you know, somehow manage in life. Like there's the disability camp and there's the superpower camp. I'm, I'm right down the middle. I think there are fantastic attributes about having ADHD that I love and I wouldn't want to be without. I think what makes me different makes me special. And there are legitimate struggles that I manage every day. I just don't want to put more importance on them than I do on my gifts. That's how I live with it. Love that. Talk about some other mindsets that you like to implement with your clients. You had mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah, sure. One of the things that I talk to my clients about is is really understanding like what fires up your engine. Like when people will say, well, I've worked with a lot of creatives and writers and so forth. And they'll say, well, I just have to wait for the muse to come. I'm just not feeling it right now. Well, I don't actually believe that. I think what we need is structure, systems, and support. And what we depend on is accountability. I think it's one of the things I see with a lot of first-time entrepreneurs. They did really well in the workplace, but they didn't have the opportunity to be their brilliant creative self and take chances and do new things and think outside the box. So eventually they became entrepreneurs. And then all of a sudden they started struggling, like really struggling. It's like, wait, what the hell? This is what I've been waiting for. This is my moment. Why am I having such a hard time? Why am I suddenly fizzling out? And the secret is, it's not really a secret, we need structure, we need systems, and we need support to consistently be at our best. And the workplace does provide those things. I mean, think about it. If you don't show up to work on time, you're not going to be working there very long. So you manage to get your shit together and get out the door when you should. There's nobody at home. When you work from home for yourself as an entrepreneur, there's nobody making you sit down to your desk at night. Yes, o'clock. it's so hard sometimes. You right? want. I think I said to you in our first meeting, I need somebody to structure my brain. <laughs> I need somebody to. I need somebody to structure my life, and and I need. It's so true. I mean, you you, you don't want to work for anybody, but you need the structure. But you're working for yourself, and you have no structure, and it's hard to make the structure. It's this constant uh, back and forth. But not not fighting with it, Doran, just yeah. saying, okay, here's the thing. I have this brain full of brilliance. It has to be contained, constrained, and directed. That's not, it's just what it is. Like it doesn't do any good to fight it or struggle with it or hate it. It's just the way it is. I think of it like a laser beam. Like if you have a laser, it's this powerful force that just scatters energy all over the place. But when you direct it, it can cure and heal. So I'm thinking of a medical laser. So um, we need, we've got all this energy in our brain that will just kind of get lost if it's just scattered all over the place. We have to embrace some constraints knowingly and willingly and not struggle and fight it because if we don't, we won't get anything done. We will scatter our energies. This is what I call distractibility. It's just scattering our energies. You do a little of this, and then you do a little of that, and then you go over here, and then when you see that, then you remember this. It's like I have a very structured life that I don't resent because I created it to serve me. I also build accountability into my life. I put a lot on my assistants and say, okay, 
I know I will procrastinate indefinitely on this. So I want you to assign me a deadline. Whenever I work with someone, even though I'm hiring them and I'm technically the boss, I'm like, look, here's the thing. I will just go running hither and yon. I need you to reel me in and tell me this is what you need, when you need it, and then remind me. And don't take bullshit for an answer. Don't let me go, oh, I was going to do it, but say, no, Dan, have it done. Even that I'm paying you for this. This is your job to reel me in and, and make me do it. And I don't resent it because I know that this is just how my brain works. Um, most people who have gone home to work for the first time as a result of COVID are facing the very same struggle. We're not the only ones. It's just that because of the magnitude of our creativity and how fast our minds work, we really need it. We need systems, we need structure, and we need support in the form of accountability. But I don't fight it because I had decades of so many good ideas gone completely to waste, didn't act on them, or more likely got started, got distracted, and never went back to it. And if I had seen just one of them through, I would be inviting you to visit me on my private island. <laughs> and <laughs> I, only got sick, I got sick <laughs> of myself, Tor, and I thought, this is bullshit. I, I finally, and here, this is going to sound really vain, but oh well. I got sick of people that I thought were less talented pass me by because they had one thing I didn't, and only one, focus. And I said, this is bullshit. I'm going to fix this problem. And now I help other people like us do it too because we are the ones who need to get our shit out in the world. It changes lives. Oh, my God. It's so true. By the way, I have an amazing assistant who I'm obscured at any moment is going to quit because of because of my ADHD. But um, she does keep me in check. And um, I can't wait for her to listen to this because, you know, she she's already doing it on her own. And I've said to her, I need, you know, I need you to ping me or you know, she sends me every day. She'll send me like what's I'm sorry, on Monday, she sends me what's going on for the week, even though I have it in my calendar. Yeah. It's so helpful to have that structured reminder. She's wonderful. I'm very because grateful you need to her. That. Think of it this way. Okay. Yeah. You are a racehorse. Mm -hmm. You are a race car. You are a high-speed jet. You are a prize-winning person. You are, you are not a person who is slow and steady and linear. Of course, you need help and constraint because your brain is like a satellite dish. You know, it's collecting all kinds of information and shooting it all out. But if you don't have some constraint, some limits, some boundaries, some deadlines, it gets wasted. So tell her how much you love her. Tell her, I know this is probably really frustrating, but this is why I need you. Because I do all the time. You, yeah, it's like, it's not happening. I do all the time. I, 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 um, I tell my editor, producer, Adi, who um, is monitoring this this chat right now all the time. I tell him the same thing. I so appreciate him and his patience and bear with me. And he's he's actually wonderful like that. So uh, it's about surrounding yourself with the right people. And I think it's having opposite personalities, I think is important, um, yeah. you know, just so that uh, they understand how to how to structure you a little bit better. So, Diane, oh, my God, I, I want to I could stay on here forever. I'm going to have to I say this to so many of my guests, but it's true. 
Um, I'm going to have to have you come back to to uh, have a a different chat. But tell me if if so if you're a woman right now and you're listening to the show and you're in your 40s and you're going, huh? I definitely have known that I've had ADHD my whole life. I've never been actually diagnosed. Is it worth it at this stage of life? And where does somebody even begin with that? This is a really, really good and very important question. I'm glad you asked. Mm -hmm. I think because even if you go to a specialist, the best way to have an accurate diagnosis is to give yourself some preparation first. I'd say the number one thing is actually a mindset thing. Even if this is like, oh my God, this is me. This makes sense of everything. Don't bolt into getting yourself diagnosed because there is an overlap between the symptoms of ADHD and symptoms of other things. And you do not want to waste more of your precious life on the wrong path. So slow your roll, hold your horses, and do this first. I do not recommend that people suddenly go into a bunch of Facebook groups and other online communities and start listening to a fuck ton of podcasts and blogs and start obsessively consuming information about ADHD because we are. are you saying that because people with ADHD do that? Yes. I do, I do that. Yes, <laughs> of course you do. And here's the thing. Listen, I've studied the brain for decades. And one thing I know is that, you know, when we get on a roll, we tend to become very obsessive with something. And yes. we can convince ourselves that this is not only the thing, it is, this is, applies to us, but this is the thing that not only makes sense of every inch of our life, but addressing it, diagnosing it, treating it will automatically make all of our problems disappear. Let me tell and then, you. And then we go into overwhelm and oh burnout. And you're in for a, a total letdown. So first of all, don't be overly attached to the idea that you have ADHD. You might. And if you do, and I'm the person that helped you figure it out, I'm very glad for that. But don't be overly attached to the notion that you are or have because you might not be. That's number one. Number two, do not start consuming all kinds of information about it because that will just convince you that you are or maybe that you want to be because you want to make sense of things. Don't do that. I'm going to ask you to do one thing, maybe two. There's a new book by Ned Hallowell called ADHD 2.0. I will have, I'll give you the link and you can link to it in the show notes. Ned Hallowell is a Harvard trained psychiatrist who has ADHD and is an ADHD expert and has been teaching on ADHD for many years, has written many books about it. This book just came out about a month ago. It is the latest information about ADHD and he has a very balanced approach that agrees with my own. So I would say read that book. If you love podcasts, and of course you do, there's two that I would recommend. One is mine, which is the Driven Woman podcast, where I talk a lot about ADHD. There's another one called ADHD for Smartass Women by Tracy Otsuka, which I think is also very good. So if you want to get a little bit of information, get that. Take a list of your life over time. If you have only been identifying with these traits or symptoms, if you want to call them that, in the last few years, you do not have ADHD. It's probably hormonal. If you have been this way your whole life, then um, there's a much better chance that you actually do have ADHD. So make a list of things and different times in your life, evidence, if you will, so that if you do get diagnosed, 
you will be able to go through that diagnostic interview with evidence to you know, validate. This is something that you should be able to identify in multiple areas of your life uh, across all of your life. But know this, I think the most important thing about getting officially diagnosed is if you have made up your mind that you owe it to yourself and you want to try ADHD medication. Doran tried it, didn't like the way she felt, gave it up quickly. I was pretty determined since I had put off getting diagnosed for a couple of decades after I first strongly suspected I had ADHD. I was committed to the process and I tried six different medications and different different formulas, different um, length of time for, for the half-life and so forth. And before I ended up on one that I really like, I still take. I take it Monday through Friday. I take weekends off when I do my creative content work. I feel that I'm more creative when I when I'm not on it, but I use it for focus and I don't use it when I need to be creative. If you know for a fact that under no circumstances are you willing to be on stimulant medication, then I don't think personally you need to be diagnosed. You can be self-diagnosed and hundreds of thousands of women are. If you decide to self-diagnose after reading the book, listening to the podcast and thinking about your life, then I think there, are, there is a lot of benefit to making some changes in the way you think and in the way you structure your life so that you can be more focused and most importantly, get your most brilliant work done. You do not have to have medication for that. There are many things you can do that will help you. But the first one is, you know, making the decision that you want to remove the obstacles to you being at your best and making a commitment to that. Well, that is a perfect place to end this wonderful podcast with you, Diane. And can you tell me where everybody can find Wonderful You? Of course. Diane Wingert Coaching is my website, and it's D-I-A-N-N-W-I-N-G-E-R-T. As I previously mentioned, uh, the Driven Woman podcast is my podcast. And um, I would love to have more followers on Instagram. I have plenty on Facebook and LinkedIn, but I'm growing my Instagram. So if you want to follow me there, it's Coach Diane Wingert. Oh, good. Well, I will obviously be promoting you when the podcast comes out. So I hope that'll bring you some some new followers. And I, I can't imagine that after listening to this episode, people won't want to hear more from you. So I, I'm again, I'm so grateful that we connected and I'm I'm so grateful that you came on today. I hope that this has resonated somehow in somebody's mind. Again, you you can get diagnosed. You don't have to get diagnosed. Sometimes just having knowledge is a relief in some ways. And Absolutely. yeah, I think that this is this was just such a, a great amount of information. And again, we will have to have you back. Or I, I don't know. Who, I say we. I don't know who the we is. There really is just me. <laughs> <laughs> I like to pretend that there's a big group of people. I guess it's because you're a big deal. So, <laughs> Oh, yes, that must be it. That must be it. But again, thank you so much for coming. And I hope that we get to speak again soon. We certainly will. It was great to reconnect. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast, and please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>